Good evening. This is Old School from Motherbuck.net. Recording the podcast this week while I travel north on the turnpike. I was down in Miami this week for work, and I will not have time to do the podcast tonight. So I figured I would try and record some thoughts, and I'll stitch them together and put them out as the podcast this week. Hopefully it will meet with your approval. Uh, But then again, approval is not really why I do this. But I want to thank everyone who does tune into the podcast, whether they normally tune in live or whether they listen to the podcast after the fact. 13 years of doing this stuff, and the fact that anyone still gives a crap is amazing to me. I want to thank our sponsors. As always, we had another fantastic tailgate this week. And we couldn't have those tailgates without sponsors like Steps Towing, our friends from Steakhouse Elite, Tito's Vodka, and of course, our new friends from Yingling, uh, America's oldest brewery. These guys have been killing it too. And this week, we instituted a couple of new things as well and had a fantastic tailgate, even with a really significant lightning storm. It was one of those times where if you guys follow me on Twitter, you notice that I tweeted out some things uh, during the tailgate because we had a storm front move through. We started at 4 o'clock. We had a storm front move through coming in at around 6 o'clock in the evening. And one of our guys, Josh, warned me about it, told me, you know, how significant it was. And a lot of folks who were in from out of town may not know how serious lightning is in Florida. And we've had lightning strikes in lot 14 across the street from us. So we sped everything up, did our step up to the shot of the game. And, uh, and I told folks to get to their cars and get safe. And if you didn't have a car, get under the tents. And fortunately for everyone, that's where all the gangling was. And so I would say 80, 90 people probably huddled under the tents during a relatively significant rainstorm, having beers, having a good time, cheering for their team. And it was one of those moments where as a sports fan, you know, I can get, and I talked about this a little bit on the Petercast show uh, last night, and a big thanks to Brent and to Ren for having me on their show. Uh, sorry, you have the navigation lady talking behind me as well. So I've... I mentioned that this is one of those moments where I felt very proud to be uh, a fan because we had a group of people from around the world who were just celebrating sports fandom and having a great time. And uh, it was it was fantastic. Now, we went ahead after the rain went away and advanced into the stadium where we started to watch our Buccaneers, uh, the shine come off of our Buccaneers this week. This was one of those concerns. You know, the team had been playing so well. You knew at some point some things had to get normalized, right? I mean, it couldn't be the case that Fitzpatrick was going to be the greatest quarterback in NFL history necessarily. But, you know, even after all of the shenanigans that went on during this particular game, he still ended up putting up some pretty, uh, pretty substantial numbers. But during the game, you guys know I'm pretty active on Twitter, and I was not disappointed, and when I say not disappointed, I mean I was incredibly disappointed by how quickly a lot of the Buccaneers fandom started jumping off of bandwagons and raising hell and going crazy and having a shit fit about how things are going in Tampa Bay. The Steelers came out as a team that was backed up against the wall. They played like it. Their defense played lights out compared to how they had played earlier in the season, gave our offense some serious issues. The second quarter was abysmal. 24-0, I believe, was the score in that quarter. Steelers to us, it was fumble, interception, 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 and I think punt for us from a drive perspective in the second quarter. Now, fortunately, or you know, depending on your perspective, I guess maybe no fortune at all, the Bucks went in at halftime and uh, evaluated what was going on and came out and had a great third quarter and ended up closing out the second half 17-0, making a great comeback. And were it not for a couple of bounces going the wrong way or calls going the wrong way, uh, this is a game that, that could have been won. And in fact, even up until the last possession with around three minutes left, the Buccaneers had a chance to move down the field and just weren't able to do it. Now, let's start talking about 
decision points there uh, because that's one of the areas where I've seen a lot of noise online. At that point in the game where the Buccaneers had the ball around three minutes to go, uh, were able to make no yardage whatsoever. Right? They, they tried a number of passes, incomplete, incomplete, almost interception. So we're sitting there uh, at 4th and 10, I believe. I think had the Bucks made any yardage whatsoever, this is a different decision. But I do think that the fact that the defense had been playing well in the second half, we had two timeouts left at that point and the two-minute warning, uh, the team felt as though they would get another shot at a drive. And so risking it there and giving up certain points seemed like a good decision. Now, in hindsight, because it didn't work, I think everyone feels justified in saying it was a bad decision, but it's certainly an explicable one. Fast forward, and if memory serves, I'm having to do this from memory, guys, because I've been down here working, so I haven't been able to go back and watch the All-22. I apologize. Normally, I make that a requirement of doing a podcast, and I just have not been able to do it. I watched a lot of the stuff that uh, Stephen Che did, as well as Real Bucks Talk. By the way, if you're not following those guys on Twitter, make sure you do. They do great film cut-ups. But the defense had the Steelers stopped, and if it weren't for Herculean effort by Big Ben, a couple of holding penalties that weren't called, uh, that drive gets stopped, and we do get another chance, and you just don't know how that whole thing turns out. But when you start looking for reasons that game was lost, a lot of people have now chalked this up to the absence of a running game, and certainly our running game has struggled. Um, why why people are so focused on that right now, I don't understand, because we still moved the ball well, we still scored well. Uh, it does limit you to a certain extent if you believe that the problem is that we simply don't and that's a little bit too funny, and I don't mean meta in any of the trendy ways. I think that we have a runner who can run the ball in Peyton Barber. I think we have linemen who can block in certain conditions. What we don't seem to have is the ability to let teams know we're going to run and then proceed to go run the ball down their throat. We are not at that stage in the developmental curve right now. If we, if we are in our base sets, we seem to be able to run the ball effectively enough that play action works. We can also do something that my friend Leadership South says all the time, and that many teams have been very successful with over time, which is we can use the pass to set up the run. Uh, but this particular night, especially after the second quarter that was had by our Buccaneers, it was not meant to be uh, against the Steelers. So a 30-27 to 27 defeat goes in the books, and the Bucs are left to wonder. Now, of course, when there's a loss, especially if there's a loss that has some ugly play by a quarterback, and you're a team that has a quarterback controversy already brewing, this is a recipe for a shitstorm, and that is exactly what we're in the middle of, and we've already seen it, and thankfully I've been in Miami, so I haven't had to deal with the local media talking about it constantly. You guys know that I've always said that it should not have been the case that Jameis was even considered to go in against Chicago, coming back with only a couple days of practice. Uh, I retweeted Steve White. I retweeted uh, Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report. Yes, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a challenging first half. I still think Ryan Fitzpatrick played his ass off in that game. Was it as spectacular as the previous two games? No. The pressure was different, for sure, and it definitely impacted Ryan's ability to step up. I tweeted during the game that Ryan was afraid to step up, I think is what the quote was, and someone questioned me, and I wasn't trying to like bust Ryan's balls or anything or call him out. What I was saying was literally, physically, because of the way the pressure was pushing the line back into his chest, Ryan couldn't step forward into his throws a number of times, and that makes it really difficult for a quarterback. And at least one of the interceptions was caused by that. Now, it's his duty to understand that. It's his duty to adapt to that. When you have that kind of pressure, you have to, as a quarterback, make adjustments so that you can still complete the ball. And you saw him do that a couple times, stepping laterally, delivering the ball to Chris Godwin through somebody's ear hole 
that is a dangerous pass. That's one of those things where it's like, no, 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 yes. Because uh, Godwin ends up making the catch over the guy's shoulder, and it's a completion. I think it was a first down. They got us down into the red zone. But in the red zone this week, our beloved Buccaneers stumbled. And it was a continuation, I think, of stumbles that have been going on throughout the game. I do think that Coach Munkin, who's been doing a fantastic job of play calling, I think he outthought himself a little bit and focused a little bit too much on Chris Godwin. Uh, and that's not a slight to, to Godwin. I think he's a fantastic receiver. I'm excited about what he brings to the team. Certainly had some some highlight plays as well. But, and I mentioned this on the Peter Cash show as well, when you have Mike Evans on the field, he has got to be looked at. Using him as a decoy almost breaks my heart a little bit. And when you're in the red zone especially, for a team to stop Mike Evans in the red zone, they're going to have to cheat. They're going to have to grab. And the fact that we went into the, the red zone the, the number of times we did and came away with three points now, you know, hats off to Big Cat making the field goals. That's good. Points are better than no points. But, you know, you convert one of those as a touchdown, and this is a different conversation. We're talking about a 3-0 team potentially. Um, so what I'm coming across to say here is, despite how Buck's Twitter looked after the first half, and certainly this was not the Buck team's best performance of this campaign. This is still a very good football team, guys. And this is a position we haven't been in in a long, long time. This offense can score on any defense in the league. This defense can intermittently play really, really strong football. Now, uh, with Brent Grimes back, Brent looked like he had some rust. I agree with everyone out there. That doesn't mean I think Brent's got nothing left in the tank. I am very confused by what uh, Chris Fisher uh, at BBP Chris tweeted out how Ryan Smith goes from being essentially player of the game to getting zero burn is beyond me. Um, the defensive secondary was a bit of a mess. I know people are still uh, currently talking about how terrible Chris Conti is. I've already had this conversation for the better part of two years. It's not that interesting. Nothing changed because he got stiff-armed. If you go look at great stiff-arms in NFL history, there's some great players in the NFL who can stiff-arm. And that doesn't mean I think Chris Conti is necessarily a great player. What I do mean to say is just because you were stiff-armed by a guy who's got 20 pounds on you doesn't mean that you're a terrible football player. It just gives fuel to the fire of people who hate Chris Conti for reasons that I haven't quite ascertained yet, um, but I also just don't care. So I hope Chris gets well. Um, he seems to have been a great teammate here in Tampa. I, I appreciate what he did here. I know what he did in the community, and I appreciate that too. That all being said, the Bucks need safeties. They went on signing guy from the Giants. They did not apparently go after Eric Reed, who was signed by the Panthers. Uh, but the coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball is going to have to figure out what the hell they're going to do with the secondary. Now, they also have a struggle in the line because, as I understand it, Bo Allen was once again not at practice, which means our defensive tackle ranks are decimated. And uh, the way that game ended looked like it was, a, it was hit again by fatigue. And I know that we don't shuttle often, but you've got to be able to get bodies in there. Now, is Vita Vea going to be able to make his debut this week? I don't know. Having a healthy, young, big, strong nose tackle in there would certainly help because we're getting productivity out of JPP. We're getting productivity out of Vinnie Curry. We're getting productivity about Gerald McCoy. We're getting productivity out of Will Golson, who had a terrible training camp but has played well when he gets his opportunities. So this will be one of those things where we're facing a Chicago Bears team that offensively has not been anything to, to talk about. Trubinsky hasn't looked great. Uh, if he gets a clean pocket, he can deliver an accurate ball. But other than that, nothing spectacular. But the defense is one everyone is talking about. On paper, at least, it seems, and anecdotally, uh, because, again, because I was down here, I wasn't able to scout them on their previous game. I only caught what I saw in red zone the first three weeks. But with Khalil Mack out there, he has raised the game of the front seven. Uh, 
He is the X factor. You have to account for Khalil Mack, just like they have to account for Jerome McCoy, just like maybe a stretch. Khalil Mack is a disruptor at a level that most people cannot disrupt. That all said, and I mentioned this on the Peter Cast podcast as well, uh, this is not cold fusion. Khalil Mack is not a uh, puzzle that we Nicholas Cage in National Treasure 3 to come figure out. He needs to be blocked. DeMar Dotson has to be on his game. We have to give him help from a back or a tight end at times. You have to be physical with Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack is a speed player. He's strong, don't get me wrong. Not taking anything away from Khalil Mack's strength. What I'm saying is he relies primarily on his speed, quickness, and bend. You negate that with power and ferocity. Uh, Historically, when I have an end, that I'm facing who's that good, I like to run at that end. I like to absolutely get every opportunity I can to have as much fat guy power put on that guy's chest as possible. Because you take his lungs. Now, this Buccaneers offense does not like to grind it out. So that makes my game plan sort of a challenge. Uh, This Buccaneers offense likes to get the ball vertical. So what this Buccaneers offense is going to have to do is make sure that they protect Ryan Fitzpatrick's ass from Khalil Mack. Now, in the middle of the line this week, uh, we had some serious issues, and I mentioned it before. I don't know whether Jensen was still feeling the ill effects of whatever that flu was he had or what was going on, but this was certainly his weakest game of the of the campaign. Now, that said, I think he's still a hell of a center and probably would have done better than anyone else could have played there, but you just didn't have that continuity, and he makes up for a lot of the challenges we have at the right guard position, which is currently uh, shuttled between Caleb Beninock and Evan Smith. Uh, there were a number of the cut-ups I saw from Stephen Che and from Real Bucks Talk where you saw Caleb Beninock looking back like, what happened? And watching uh, a Steeler defender uh, about to separate Ryan Fitzpatrick's head from his body. Uh, that's something that the team cannot have this week. I think that when you look at the, the coaching staff, the ones who are working their asses off right now in the film room are obviously our secondary, our offensive line coaches. Because right now they have got to dial something up to give us enough time to get the ball out to the playmakers who can clearly make plays. Listen, if you weren't excited as a Bucks fan when Deshaun Jackson took that punt back to, for what should have been a touchdown, was there a hold? Yes, there was a hold. Should it have been called? Well, strictly speaking, he broke the rules. Is it called all the time? No, not in your life. Was the officiating shit this week? Yes. Was it vaguely shit on both sides? Yeah, probably so. I don't think we got jobbed. I don't think it was one of the situations where the Bucks got robbed by a, a officiating staff that had it out for us, and I know that a lot of Twitter thought that was the case, that the NFL couldn't allow their darling Steelers to be as bad as that record would have been. I don't think that that was the case. Um, Do I think it was disappointing? Uh, Yes. Was I upset as a fan? Bet your ass I was. But to know that Deshaun Jackson still got that in the tank, that's exciting. So that later in the game, when they took the penalties, before they punted to us on the last series that we couldn't convert, they got pushed far enough back that they made a, a switch and pulled Adam Humphreys out and put Deshaun Jackson in. And I guarantee you it changed the way that punter kicked the ball. You want to try and throw a dart down there? Okay, well, typically you're going to take some of the height off the ball because you don't want that much of a bounce. If you take some of the height off the ball, you make it a returnable kick. And with Deshaun Jackson back there, that team did not want him returning the ball. So that set up decent field position that sadly we dribbled down our leg instead of being able to take advantage of it. But... From a Bucks fan perspective, that is still pretty exciting uh, in the grand scheme of things. So, what are we going to see this week? Oh, let's let's look a little bit backwards too. And I got a little bit of rain coming in here. Hopefully, it won't be obnoxious in the microphone. I'll check this out when we when I get back to the house and I start zipping things together. 
Um, but uh, who do we want to give skulls and swords? Who are the, the strong performers, the weak performers, etc. against the Steelers? You know, I think a lot of people are going to be all over Conti because of the stiff arm again. Uh, I think Grimes is probably going to be up for, for Skull. I'm going to give it to uh, Caleb Beninock. I'm going to give it to the right guard position in general um, because, once again, it's the weakest part of our offensive line, which is frustrating because it has been that from the beginning. We have seemingly got no plan to make it better, which is very frustrating. Um, but I think that there are, are good arguments that could be made for a number of folks uh, other than the the right guard shuttle position that I'm picking on. Now, from a from a sword perspective, I think a lot of players had pretty damn good games uh, this week, despite the way the score turned out. Um, Mike Evans was unstoppable. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a great second half, but the first half was so abysmal, there's no way you can put him in consideration. The fact that he threw for 400 yards again doesn't matter. He threw for 400 yards and lost... That's a problem. You can't just amass the yards and the individual stats and not get the victory. That's not how it works. I mean, you can do that, but that's certainly not what we're looking for out of a quarterback. Um, I had predicted a win. I had predicted a high-scoring game. I think I predicted it to be 38-30 to 30 or something like that. Um, and so the game didn't exactly play out unlike what I think a number of people had predicted. I think the biggest surprise was the fact that that Steelers secondary – they would leave them on islands against our receivers, and they did a damn good job. There were times where our receivers were in position, they had a chance, and the, the defensive secondary for the Steelers would break the triangle. We had some drops. Godwin had the drops. We had the fumble. Uh, you know, we had some some football that you just can't have and expect to beat a team uh, like the Steelers. So I take away from that game uh, learning lessons, and I hope what the Buccaneers take away from that game is a lesson in humility. Now, I don't think that our Buccaneers walked in there pounding their chest, thinking they were going to take over the world. I didn't get the feeling like they came out in that fashion at all. But I think sometimes being shown that you are incredibly exposed is useful, especially in a case where you're going to go against a defense that I think is better in almost every aspect in the Chicago Bears than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because now this week of practice is, look, the, the defense that that beat the shit out of you last week for the first half um, can't can't cut you know can't carry these guys water. So it gives the, the coaching staff an opportunity to to really do some work and for us to really find out where the heart of this Buccaneers team is. I think it was great to see them come back after the half and fight back and have a shot at this game. Um, I think there have been Buccaneers teams in the past who, when they were down like that, would have just folded up. This team clearly has no quit. And I think if you listen to some of the post-game interviews with the players, you heard it in their voices, you heard it in their support for each other. And I think that that's a pretty fantastic thing. But going forward, they're going to have to figure out what they can do to right the ship a little bit and then get into the bye week. And then once you get into the bye week, things get really interesting, guys, because then the conversation about Jameis Winston becomes legitimate. And that's what I've been saying the entire year, and as long as we knew what the suspension was going to be, at the bye week, you start having those conversations. Jameis has been Jameis. He's been a team player. So has Ryan. All of these guys are saying all of the right things. It will be interesting to see, irrespective of a win or a loss. Now, I think if you have a loss and Ryan Fitzpatrick stumbles a little bit, then this decision becomes a little bit easier for some to swallow because God knows people are already calling for Jameis to, to hopefully we'll have a lightning delay so the game goes past midnight and someone can get Jameis a uniform. It was absolutely insane. But... 
if Ryan goes out there and stumbles, then it becomes a really interesting conversation. I had said before that I had had a bit of a change of heart. Had he continued playing at that 153 QB rating level, it's really hard to bench a guy who's on a hot hand. Uh, if I trust my friend Stephen White, and I do, and he really only made eight or so bad throws in that game, his QB rating is probably pretty damn close to 153. Now, I don't know the whole formula for QB rating, so the interceptions may hurt regardless. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. Now, the fact that the Buccaneers were a little bit cute about who's going to play, that's just playing, that's gamesmanship, making the team potentially game plan for either quarterback, because they are very different quarterbacks for sure. So uh, the takeaway from the uh, game and the Steelers, guys, is I would hope, uh, as my friend Bucks Princess Nikki, which, by the way, belated happy birthday, would say, don't line up on the Skyway Bridge. We are 2-1. and one. Had we said beforehand, before the season played out, that we would be 2-1 and one at this point, and Ryan Fitz, and the rest of this doesn't matter, by the way, but I'll add it as window dressing because everyone else does. Ryan Fitzpatrick would have thrown 400 yards in each game. Uh, our two receivers would lead the NFL. Uh, JPP and Gerald McCoy would be in the top, I think, 15 for quarterback pressures. We would all be ecstatic. So let's just take that as the victory that it is, and we'll see what's going on with Chicago. All right, well, this is old school coming back. Now that I'm back from Miami, I'm recording here in the home studio. I'll try and stitch these guys together. We'll talk a little bit about the Bucks and Bears. I know Big Nasty and a bunch of the Bucks fans are headed up to the game in Soldier Field. I'm not going this year. I've gone to the two previous times I've been in Soldier Field, and, and that's really where we're at to start. <clears throat> this Bucks team will go on the road and face a fired-up Chicago Bears crowd because the Bears are you know, sort of unexpectedly, just like we're unexpectedly, doing very well this season. And that Bears crowd can be very loud in, in Soldier Field. It's a wonderful place to play. Uh, and, and it's a it's a tough environment to perform in. Now, I say that, but I want to caveat that pretty heavily because the Buccaneers went into New Orleans and played in a very tough environment. New Orleans is a very tough environment. It's very loud. That crowd gets very loud. And in a, in a dome, it can be significantly louder. And, and I was there. It was very loud, a very hostile environment. Even when the Buccaneers opened up a lead, that crowd did not get taken out of the game until very, very late in the game. So... While sometimes this game becomes a risk because it's later in the year and the cold weather comes in, the weather up there is fine. Uh, I don't think weather will be an issue. And despite the fact that the Bucks had problems with footing here, it's a field that's typically in good shape. Now, this is a battle of strong offense versus strong defense. Now, Mitchell Trubisky on the Chicago Bears has not been lighting it up this year. <clears throat> the Bears have had their own red zone woes. So I think a lot of folks look at this game the same way I do, which is this is a matter of, well, can the Bears – fantastic defense, and it is a fantastic defense right now, playing far better than Pittsburgh was coming into the game against the Bucks. though Pittsburgh stepped their game up significantly and got the W. Can the Bucks offense rebound from a relatively poor showing in the first half of that game and play like the Buccaneers played in the second half of that game and the way they played in the previous two games of this season? It is going to be tough. Now, when you look at what the Bears defense does, they get pressure. It's it's always been that way with the Bears. Now, in the, in the past, they've also had some pretty outstanding cornerbacks and, and safeties. Not to say they don't have a strong uh, umbrella now, but the reality is the focus of the Bears is that front seven, and it's led by Khalil Mack. This is a, a, <laughs> a player I don't think anyone expected to go anywhere from Oakland, but somehow he made it to Chicago. He, he showed up, uh, put on a uniform, and all of a sudden started producing immediately, even though he had never taken a snap for them before. It's amazing what he's been able to do. But as I said before, it doesn't matter how great a single player is. There's always a way to try and nullify him. You're not going to completely nullify a great player like Khalil Mack, just like you're not going to completely nullify a player like Gerald McCoy. But with the Buccaneers coming into this game, this Bucks offensive line has got to have been watching the film about what Khalil Mack does. Now, 
Khalil Mack is not a gadget player. He's not a one-trick pony. He's not a guy that's only got a spin move. This is a guy who can use speed, power, rip. He's got the total package, and he makes the whole line better. This is an argument that actually has been made quite regularly about Gerald McCoy. You've got to have guys like uh, Khalil Mack who can take and elevate the game of the entire line or the entire front seven because the, the opposing team has to spend so much time game planning for him that they can't pay attention to the other guys. And the other guys on that line are, are also accomplished, and they've got great linebackers, very good linebackers, a great, maybe too strong a word. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have to use all of his veteran wiles to make sure that they're making the right reads, they understand where the pressure is coming from, they get the protect, protection slid in the right direction, and they take advantage of what should be a mismatch of the best receiving core in the NFL. Yes, I said it. No, I'm not shirking away from it. I do think the Buccaneers currently have the best receiving core in the NFL and take advantage of that receiving core against a Chicago Bears defense that's predicated on pressure. Now, if the offensive line comes out and plays the way they played against the Steelers in the first half, we may have to substitute for Ryan Fitzpatrick just because of injury, because he's going to get destroyed. Uh, The Steelers played well, but they are not at the level that Chicago Bears defense is right now. So that's the concern I have going into this game, is whether we can see strong play out of Jensen in the middle the way we'd seen the first two weeks, um, and it wasn't like that he played poorly in week three, he just hadn't played, didn't play as well. And I think that that trickle on effect went to the right guard. So whether it was Benenock or Smith, you had that problem where they weren't communicating and there were a number of breakdowns, which allowed relatively rapid pressure right into the pocket, which hurt Ryan Fitzpatrick significantly. Now, my man, BBP, Chris, um, Chris Fisher, uh, tweeted out a bunch of things, uh, about the game tape that he went back and watched. And I have not had the benefit of doing that. So, One of the things that he did point out was the running game, which has become much maligned, isn't as far off as as people think it may be. And he backed that up with some tape of, you know, individual blocks being missed, a place where, you know, places where Peyton Barber made the right move to to get around the one guy that was in the gap, but maybe a block was released too early and allowed someone else to crash down. What will be interesting as Bucks fans is to see if the Buccaneers got into their lab and saw the same things that Chris saw and if they can work with the DeMar Dotsons of the world or the Ali Marpets of the world and talk about sustaining those blocks a little bit more and maybe get a running game into this offense. Now, you guys know I'm not one of those guys who's been pounding the desk saying we have to have a running game, we have to have a running game, we have to develop a running game in order to show balance because, to be honest, I think that the mismatch that the Buccaneers present this year is so strong in the passing game that until someone stops it, I'm fine with them continuing to throw the ball, and I'm also fine with, as Leadership South coined, throwing to set up the run. But, you know, this Bears defense is another one that will mistake or will will uh, disguise their uh, pressure packages. And so I hope that Coach Munkin and Coach Warhop looked at what the Steelers did to give the Buccaneers fit in the first fits in the first half and use formations and use personnel groupings to try and allow Ryan Fitzpatrick to make sure that he has guys in position to deliver the ball quickly if the pressure does get home and if it doesn't get home, be able to take that shot down the field and get the, the lead that the Buccaneers will need in order to allow the defense, the Buccaneers' defense, again, much maligned like the running game, has at times played very well. And that's why at the end of the last game, I think that the, the coaching decision was what it was to try and give the defense a chance to stop the Steelers and get the ball back to the offense. Now, again, with the benefit of hindsight, we realize that was a bad decision. But I think if you look at it and, and weigh how things had been going and weigh the, the clock possession and those sorts of things, it wasn't necessarily an obvious choice to go for it on 4th and 10. But this week, uh, they're not facing Big Ben. They're, they're facing Trubinsky, who is, has not 
proven to have taken the next step yet. That's not to say he can't throw a good ball. When he gets his feet set, he can throw a very accurate pass. The the skill positions of the Bears, um, you know, not something you hear a lot about, but they're doing enough to win, and that's that's really the name of the game. Something I've been banging the table about all year. It's really the only stat that matters at the end of the day is a score at the end of the at the end of the game, and so far the Bears have been able to do that very well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, part three of one of the most disjointed What the Buck podcasts in history. I want to review, we had a great tailgate this week. Uh, the proceeds are going to One Voice, as they always do for the first two tailgates of the year. We didn't quite get to a $5,000 total net out, but we did get very close. I think we're at $4,600. Uh, we'll get the final numbers this week, and we'll present the check to One Voice. Obviously, we love the One Voice, One Voice folks. All the work they do with pediatric cancer support, advocacy, lobbying, familial support, the whole nine yards. Uh, if you don't know about them, get out there, look into One Voice, One Voice Foundation right here in uh, Brandon, Florida. They mean a ton to us, and uh, that's why we do the things we do for them. So we want to thank everyone who came to our tailgates and helped us generate the funds in the first two tailgates to get those to One Voice. Now, as we get into the final pieces of the the Bears game, let's talk about predictive MVPs. You know, Fitzpatrick last week, I, I mentioned in some of the earlier segments that he didn't have nearly as bad a game as I think some people thought he had, but this is one of those games where he's going to have to use the cagey tools of a vet to help negate some of the speed of this Bears pass rush. I do think he's going to be able to do that, but the reality is, even though I think he's going to be the, the genesis of it, I think you're going to see the Buccaneers rediscover how dominant Mike Evans is, and I think Mike Evans will be the difference in this game, specifically the difference in the red zone. If you look at the red zone situation last week versus the Steelers, in my opinion, uh, not going and focusing on Mike Evans is one of the things we did poorly last year. We did it again poorly last week. And I think that uh, Coach Munkin and the staff will get back to that. So I expect a big game from Mike Evans. And on the defensive side of the ball with Mitch Trubinsky, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's easy to pick the big three, the Quan Alexanders, Levante David, the Gerald McCoys in the game. Now, JPP has become the fourth of the big four, I guess you could say. And, and big maybe all relative. I get it. But I think in this game, it's going to be one of those things where uh, quarterback pressure is going to have to get there. I think that they'll be trying to, to shut down both JPP and McCoy. That leaves an opportunity for Vinnie Curry to step up and have a big game. I, I'd love to pick someone in the secondary, but I saw that Whitehead got added to the injury report, and we're playing so banged up back there. If there's any way that we could get Ryan Smith in, I'd love to see it. We talked about it during uh, the week. We talked about it during the game as well. But but I just don't know that we're going to see that. The guy gets no snaps at all last week. So, uh, here we are in, in Chicago. I'm going to go basic. I'm not going to jer- just try and pick someone that no one's going to talk about. I'm going to pick Stewart or Davis, one of those guys, just to pick a, a sort of a dark horse candidate. I think I am going to go with Levante David again. I think he's playing outstanding football. He has been guessing a little bit, um, but I think that with the middle of the field uh, being an area that uh, Trubinsky likes to throw to, we're going to have to have some people uh, patrolling that in the under routes, and I think that Levante David could finally get one of those uh, special plays that we've seen out of him throughout the year. So, I am, of course, going to predict a Bucks victory this week because that's what I do every week. I hope they get back on their winning ways. I saw that. I think it was Baldy predicted a 23-20 Bears victory. I do think it's going to be a close game. Um, and I think it's a close game because that Bears defense is so good. Uh, I'd love to say that the Bucks are going to go there and drop 40 on them and win 40-20, to but I just I just don't know that that's going to be the case. I think this is a 27-20 to game. Uh, it could be a 27-17 to game. Uh, if it if it's you know in our favor, uh, but but one of the things is we gotta see continued improvement. We have to see the coaching staff make the adjustments and continue making the adjustments. That's one of the things we have seen out of this team coming out of half, as opposed to the teams of the Buccaneers in the past where they came out of the half. It was like they didn't even see what the hell happened in the first half. The other team made adjustments. The Buccaneers never made the adjustments, and we came out and get our teeth kicked in in the second half. 
Last week against the Steelers, the, the staff clearly paid attention to what was going on, reversed the trend, and like we mentioned in the, earlier in the podcast, went from a 24-0 to zero second quarter to a 17-0 to zero second half and almost made a game out of it. So I do like to see that continue. Uh, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see if the coaching staff can continue that trend, and it, it really will be a test of Coach Munkin and Coach Warhop to see if they can nullify some of this Bears defense. So I want to thank anyone who listens to this podcast. I do apologize this wasn't the quite the quality of the podcast we normally do. I wasn't able to put that together this week because of uh, real life. We will be going to the road rally uh, that the Buccaneers are throwing. I think it's over at Duffy's this week. Uh, if you're not aware of it, get out to the What the Buck Facebook page or the What the Buck Really Matters Facebook page and take a look at that. The Buccaneers are throwing these things all over. So we just kind of hop on with those. If you want to come out and hang out with us and watch the game, we'll be out there having a good time. And again, I want to thank everyone who supports the tailgates. We'll be back out for our next home game. We'll let you know all those details as soon as we have them. And, uh, you know, let's hope that the Buccaneers can get into this bye week at 3-1. and one. Surprise everyone. They've already surprised everyone significantly with being 2-1 and one right now. If we had said at the beginning of the year that they'd come out of this, uh, you know, murderer's row first four games, 2-2 two and two with no Jameis Winston, everyone would have been high-fiving and celebrating. And here we are upset that we're 2-1 and one because, to be honest, and I think Coach Cutter said it well, the reason he's upset is because he thinks that there's a, a real chance that we should have been 3-0 and oh at this point. So it's great to be a Bucks fan right now, to have things to talk about that are encouraging. I'm excited about that. Hopefully you guys have rediscovered your excitement about Buccaneers football and the Buccaneers team can continue to improve, get healthy over the bye week, maybe get a chance to see Vita Vea come in. I know that he was full participation in practice this week. We get a bye week to get healthy, get people conditioned, get people onto the right pages of the playbook. And then they can make the decision about what they want to do at quarterback and see what this Buccaneers team can do for the rest of the season. So again, if you listen to the podcast, we appreciate you. Uh, if you don't have, if you haven't done it yet, go ahead and rate us up. We'd love to hear the ratings. Love to know what you guys like and what you guys don't like. Share the podcast with your friends. And if you get a chance to come out to our tailgate, make sure you do that because we sure as hell have a great time. So for the whole What the Buck staff, I want to thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week.